0: Hey everybody, it's Seth with Jensen USA and I am welcoming uh, you back to another episode of Kendall vs. Kendall. Uh, We took a quick little break and actually if you haven't uh, listened on that break, we actually had a really cool thing where Jeff had a very special person. Uh,
1: on the podcast jeff do you want to give us a quick rundown on that last podcast oh man joe murray is such a solid dude so i grew up mountain biking in the late 90s early 2000s and i always heard about the joe murray name because he'd kind of retired when i started but he was the first ever professional mountain biker first ever Norba national champ yeah he's won world cups he's won so many norbert nationals and he was racing he worked at gary fisher as an employee back in like 82 mm-hmm. or something And then Gary was like, hey, I'll pay you to go to some races or whatnot. And the whole podcast, we go through all his background, how I got into it. But he raced competitively for like 10 years. And then he went on to do more product development stuff, worked for Marin for quite a while. A company he was part owner in and still is, is called Voodoo Cycles. Mm -hmm. Did a lot of testing for them. And that was another half of that company is called Titech. So there's a lot of crossover with that and with the current-day IBIS staff. And today, he's done a ton of testing recently for Marin. He just stopped doing that. But he's a Shimano skunk rider and has Ah, been a Shimano skunk rider for, like, 20 years. That means when Shimano is developing new stuff, they send crazy prototypes out to this, like, super top-secret group of riders that are just full-time testers. And he's done that for ages. So... Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dude's crazy. Like, so, And what I really like about hanging out with Joe is like he has this crazy pedigree of being a good racer, but what I like the most about mountain biking is the people that just kind of find their ways into the sport and love it so much they never leave. They just live the right, lifestyle. Right, right. Joe is mountain bike lifestyle to a T. Dude's nice. super cool. Yeah, super artistic, like not like... Not definitely not an engineer per se, but really good visual like, like a drawing and stuff, and quite a bit more artistic. So he's kind of like a Mickey Diamond of mountain biking. That kind of, kind of like a mascot of mountain biking, you could say. I like it. <laughs> yeah,
0: I like it. Well, yeah. So if you haven't checked out that episode, head over. Uh, you can find us on. Uh, SoundCloud under Kendall versus Kendall. We're on iTunes, uh, also Kendall versus Kendall. Uh, the Play Store, uh, Google Play, we're in there. So if you haven't heard that one, definitely go back and check it out. Um, super rad to you know get some microphone time with legends like that. So uh, way cool, Jeff. What are we talking about today though? What's on our, our subject list?
1: You know the list is very long, but the general topic term would be geometry
0: yeah and this is this is a really big thing these days. Um, you know, like I feel like back when I started cycling, it, geometry was obviously a thing,
1: but it was but so consistent it, on every bike back then.
0: Yeah, it felt super consistent and it also felt very dictated, right? Like um there wasn't as much small tweaking of things or at least it just felt less obsessed or maybe I was just young and naive and so I was less obsessed. But uh, geometry, is it's the big topic of conversation. I mean, you hit any of the like big mountain bike sites or even road and gravel, Like everyone's talking about various things to do with geometry, fork, offset, all these kind of little things. So why not have us talk about it, right? <laughs>
1: let's grab our protractors and get into it. <laughs> let's do it.
0: All right. So let's get started here. Uh, welcome to everybody. Just glad to have you back on. And this is going to be a pretty in-depth, well, I should say this is an in-depth content that we're going to hit a little bit lighter today, uh, just because there's so much to talk about. And it's very possible that at the end of this, we may decide that we need to do an episode two of this and just kind of keep going. Uh, But we kind of want to just run you over these uh, topics And give you a a general idea of how this all works and why it matters. And I think the why it matters in some ways is almost the bigger piece there Um, because it is really easy to get in the weeds with geometry, right? In the weeds. Let's get there. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. All right. So uh, first thing I have just kind of on our loose script uh, here is we've, we want to talk about old school versus new school. And that's that's a pretty big thing. Right. Like back in the day, like you said, a lot of bikes were just kind of in a sense, a cookie cutter. Right. They, they followed a really structured pattern
1: of what things were like.
0: And there weren't seems... trail
1: bikes, there weren't enduro bikes and there almost weren't even downhill bikes for quite a long time. Right, right.
0: We kind of had one bike that just did it all, and you just rode it harder or less hard, and that was just (laughs) it. Yeah,
1: and those are cross-country bikes, and they had a 71 head angle and a 73 seat angle.
0: Yeah, and most of those were hardtails, right? We didn't see uh, full suspension for quite a while, Um, but even when we got full suspension, a lot of the geometry kind of remained the same uh, in that same category, you know, like you... You didn't see massive changes in geometry when suspension first was introduced.
1: But, you know, you know, I was pretty dead set this is the total record of it. But now I'm like, you know, shoot, there's a couple of standouts. So I don't know when the 71-73 thing really became standardized. I feel like that was right around 90. And then mm-hmm. it kind of became suspension corrected a tad, but same geometry. Yep. But I remember the guys at Kona and Rocky Mountain we're mm-hmm. making stuff a little bit different to fit more the northwest riding style so they were going yeah. a little bit shorter chainstay longer top tube and theory slacker i haven't looked at the geometry to say and then up on the in the northeast guys at um, fat chance cycles and then independent fabrication spooky Um, There had to be a couple others as well that were doing the East Coast thing, but they were famous for higher bottom brackets, even steeper head angles and shorter wheelbases for their very, very tight, rocky, no flow allowed type trails. But I don't know when like both those corners of the the continent kind of spiraled off into their own directions.
0: Yeah, I I don't know the exact dates. Uh, Like I hardly remember how old I am, let alone exact (laughs) dates of when these things happened. Um, but there was definitely kind of a regionality that happened to these things, right? Like it was, it's like uh, East coast versus West coast rappers, right? Uh, <laughs> there was a regionality to the, the type of bikes that were coming out of these companies. But
1: still at like, companies like Cannondale at like Connecticut, they did not do nearly as crazy East coast specific right. geometry yep. as the smaller brands did. So I think we can pretty safely say that seventy-one seventy-three was standard for almost a decade there. Yeah, for quite a while. And we still see it somewhat commonly uh, in certain
0: categories, although I would say it is starting to see a pretty heavy demise, um, including, I I just was looking, uh, Specialized just released their Fuse Hardtail with a 66 degree head tube angle. Oh, that's kind of
1: steep. I wonder why they did that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm serious too. For that bike, that is a little steep. Like I know why cro makes their bikes the way they do. And I, I yeah. actually want to do a whole video with Ian from cro yeah. going through his trails and riding with him because I know his geometry makes so much sense for where he rides. Yeah. But, uh, yeah on a hard tail, I feel like the, the super slack head angle makes so much sense on that bike.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we will talk a little bit about um, the growing trend of slacker head tube angles, uh, on hardtails, Cause I think that's a really important thing that we'll, we'll touch on. Um, but as a general rule, I think, yeah, like 71, 72 was kind of the head angle and, uh, we had fairly, uh, long chain stays, Medium wheelbases, though, which was, I I would say, like, and I'm using medium as a loose term here, but I think we had kind of medium wheelbases because we didn't have the crazy head angles and we didn't have super long top tube uh, or reach numbers. Uh, Reach wasn't really a term at that time that people were using much. That's more of a common uh, term now. But as a general rule, we were kind of steeper angles and uh, more focused on a uh, nimble ride, if you will, you know, tighter cornering and uh, just not hard charging downhill. Well, as I think the, the deal was right? the bikes were
1: built to be ridden while in the saddle. And since everyone is yeah, coming yeah, over from the road statement. world where you always rode in the saddle, well, not always, but primarily you're in the saddle or you're standing up and like hovering over the saddle. So those same people are starting to build mountain bikes and then they're bringing that geometry and riding style with them. Today yeah. we have dropper seat posts and like the more aggro BMX yeah. wannabe style is taking over. So things have changed a ton. And Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I think that brings us to, you know, what are we seeing now as the trend? What, what's the modern day take, right? So I think that's, uh, we've probably all heard it at this point. And if you haven't, you will, as soon as you start digging, which is longer, lower, slacker, right? (laughs) Those are, those are the ones. And it's funny because that's been going on for several years now uh, in a really kind of focused Um, And what people, I think, term progressive geometry. And every year, progressive just changes a little bit more where it's a half degree slacker than the year before or, you know, so on and so forth. But longer, lower slacker has kind of reigned supreme for several years now, right? Oh, yeah.
1: so For like five years now. (laughs) Yeah, it's about five years. Uh, Maybe uh. even more, man. I I remember when did the... So HD3 came out at the end of 2014 and that was kind of sort of the beginning of the yeah so mm-hmm. dude, almost bang on with 5 years there yeah. 6 years now
0: So it's been uh it's been definitely a good trend and it's funny cuz now if you look at the um like the HD3 kind of being that turning point if you look at the geometry of that bike um it's actually way more similar to kind of the cross-country end of things that we're seeing now, (laughs) because that progressive geometry has continued to progress in that longer, lower, slacker thing. So um, let's just kind of kick this off with uh, a quick uh, cover of just like XC, Trail, Enduro, and DH. I think those are our primary categories these days of mountain biking, right? That sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. It, it moves all the time. I remember a few years back, there was the all-mountain term, which I actually really like over enduro. I think it's a better term. <laughs> yeah, enduro, it makes um, it sound like
1: you're going to ride like a very long distance yeah and
0: like i just and i'm not out racing is the other part yeah. so i can't even be like i'm an
1: enduro racer like that's not me I, and you can't I ride like, that long when you're wearing only a fanny pack you can't bring that much water with you so, <laughs> right. so lies. Uh, <laughs> lies lies
0: so but i think those are kind of the commonly accepted terms um and just as a loose rule uh xc we're gonna have um steeper head angles generally we're gonna have not quite as long of reach numbers generally uh and we'll ha- tend to have longer chain stays uh, wheelbase tends to be actually a little bit shorter and all of this is because this leans us towards rides that are a little more focused on technical riding where you're having to weave through rocks and things or tight trees or the style um, of that
1: bike means that it's so efficient uphill the, con- the mm-hmm. pay the, I guess the compromise is that you then can't just launch over all the technical stuff in the downhill. You have to steer around it or ride through yeah. it as opposed to over it, like on the longer travel enduro or downhill bikes.
0: Yeah. And then uh, let's just go to the opposite e- extreme, which is going to be downhill, yeah.
1: right? And that's going to be our
0: slackest head angles. Uh, generally, long wheelbases, uh, usually fairly short chain stays, although there's some wiggle room on that yeah. sometimes to get that rear center, which is a term we'll talk about. Um, we have some longer stays. Um, you know, seat angle doesn't usually matter so much on DH bikes, uh, but you know, it's. If it did matter, if we were talking Enduro, they're generally pretty steep. Again, we'll talk about that a bit. But overall, just think long, low slack, because these things are just for charging really hard through sections, sending it. Generally, the tight technical stuff uh, is at such speeds that you you aren't going to need the nimble handling of, of yeah. a steeper head angle and stuff,
1: right? Exactly.
0: And, and then trail and Enduro are going to be variations just inside of both of those that... It worked to balance it,
1: right? You could take a trail bike and put a 160 fork on it. All of a sudden, it's an enduro setup. You could take an enduro bike, put on skinnier tires, smaller fork. All of a sudden, it's a trail bike.
0: Yep, yep. Yep. Cool. So now that we've kind of locked that down. Um, you know, I think we probably need to do just a quick definition session. Yeah, let's get into and it. And it's going to be a little messy and we'll come back to these terms oh, as we, we talk it. more. But but we've got this. So let's let's start with the first one, Jeff. What do you, what's the first term?
1: The head angle is everyone's favorite number to fixate on and that is the yep. angle that your front end is attached. That's the angle of your steering axis is a good way to say it.
0: That's, yeah, that's, that's p- only
1: halfway true. But yeah, it's, it's the angle the fork attaches to the frame.
0: Yeah, that's probably the easiest definition, right? And there's there's always things that affect this. Uh, but ultimately, that's going to be the thing. And the lower that number is, generally the, the better. more stable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is some <laughs> argument there. Uh, but generally more stable, right? Yeah. And that's because it sweeps everything out farther. There's a whole lot more to this, but uh, it sweeps things out and actually allows you to impact trail obstacles in a harder manner without causing weird deflections of, of your wheel. So it just is more stable. The head angle Um, is one
1: of the quickest ways to adjust the trail measurement of a bicycle. And that changes the steering feel. Because changing fork offset, the other way to do it, or changing wheel size, well, it's kind of hard to change wheel size if your fork's limiting your wheel to one size. And changing offset usually cannot be done unless you have something different.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly.
1: And uh, thanks to things
0: like angle sets, you actually can change your head angle. And that's a possibility. Uh, Not by a
1: ton, but enough. So, so what do folks mean, Seth, when they say head tube stack height and handlebar height?
0: Yeah, so uh, we kind of put these together because there's a lot of uh, relation to these. But basically, uh, head tube stack height is going to be the, the length of your head tube, uh, which is the piece that holds your fork on, uh, plus any of your headset that maybe sticks out or in the bottom or above that head tube. Uh, And then to to relate these ones, bar height is closely associated with this, because if you have a bigger head tube stack height, you're going to have a higher bar height as a general rule. Um, And these things are pretty important because they actually affect some other numbers. So reach is a number that gets affected by your bar height. So the higher your bars are, the less your reach is. Uh, And that, again, can be affected by things like your spacers or your riser bar or something like that. So um, generally, uh, just to give a loose rule, the higher your bars are uh, and the taller that kind of stack height is, The easier it is uh, for you to do things like manuals, Um, you generally can be a little more comfortable for longer distances, but it can actually be harder to weight your front wheel, making it a little more uh, difficult to really plant that front wheel in turns. Or
1: for climbing, your weight balance is more biased towards the rear, harder to get the front end down on the steeps. Yeah, so
0: there's always things. Uh, with geometry, the one thing I've learned is for whatever you get,
1: you lose something, right? <laughs> like there's always
0: something that has That's to be given. That's so. engineering
1: 101. All engineering's all an ultimate compromise. So Yeah,
0: cool. So uh, after that, we've got, uh, I think,
1: seat angle. You want to walk us through that one? Oh, man, seat angle. Well, seat angle is <laughs> the the tube of the bicycle that the seat post will slide into. So it's the angle that your body weight is to, toward well, let's see. Oh, man, it's harder to just like do a one-sentence definition on this. It's yeah. easier to describe. So back in the day, bikes were a, a traditional double-diamond frame is what we call it. Mm-hmm. So you think of a very traditional bicycle, and the center of that whole bike would be the seat tube where the seat post slides in. And the seat tube angle is the angle uh, that that tube would be relative to the axle-to-axle center line or the ground, you could say. But then what's getting really crazy is that in this day and age, there's two different ways to measure this. There's the actual and the effective, because it used to be with the double diamond setup that the seat tube had to run from the seat stay top tube junction down to the bottom bracket. But in now, a nice In a
0: straight line. Exactly,
1: in a very straight line. So, But now we've realized we can offset it forwards, and when we move it forwards, that will effectively steepen its, its effective angle. When it gets moved backwards from that point, then that would essentially be slackening its angle, even though the angle stays the same. So mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll see on a more modern bikes that if you were to draw a line following the seat post, the dropper post, seat post, and the top of the seat tube down, it will no longer intersect the bottom bracket, but it'll be in front of the bottom bracket. Mm-hmm. And that's so its effective or theoretical seat tube angle is steeper than its actual angle. So I can measure, I think the actual angle on my HD4 was something like a 70 or a 71 but then you look at the geometry chart or plug it in on bike calc and it comes out as a 75 or a 76 and it's like oh i see and that's because it's offset forwards and back in the day we would cheat we would rotate dropper posts around backwards
0: (laughs) that's right to push our
1: saddles forwards and effectively get a steeper effective seat tube angle yeah
0: yeah yeah very good. I like that explanation. And I remember doing that with dropper posts. Yeah, it was like, so yeah. ugly, but man, it worked well. It worked good. <laughs> and lo and behold, we're where we are now with geometry. Thank because goodness. They keep pushing it forward. So cool. So I think next up is stack and reach. And actually, to me, these are some of the most crucial numbers to understand when it comes to fit. Um, the other numbers, uh, you know, they all have their function in how things uh, perform, but. Um, stack and reach for me has been the one that once I find a bike that just feels like home and I think I'm thinking about getting a new bike, um, I look at the stack and reach numbers to try to match them up to this bike that I liked before, or at least the things I liked about them. So, um, these numbers in a sense are theoretical, right? Like they're, they're not actual points on the bicycle that you're going to be measuring, but they are all based off of a point. And one thing that I've learned with, um, figuring out geometries over the years is that bottom bracket is like almost always the starting point for some measurement, right? And so that's the same case here uh, when we look at kind of measuring these out. And so if you actually start from your bottom bracket, draw a vertical line straight up, um, that's actually where you're going to kind of establish your main measure point. And then from the Uh, top of your headset, not your like actual head tube, but from your headset, uh, if you measure a line straight vertically across where those two lines intersect is where you're going to get your two measurements. And so the reach is going to be from an imaginary point directly above your bottom bracket to your headset. And the um, stack is going to be from the bottom bracket to that intersection at this imaginary point of your reach. It's so not maybe even that
1: imaginary. <laughs> it's just that the stack height is simply the difference between the center of the BB and the top center of the head tube. And then the reach is simply the difference between the top center of the head tube back to the bottom bracket. So it's just those two different. And then the point that that would graph out, that's the imaginary point Seth's referring to. Right, yeah. right,
0: right. So it is one of those things though, that like if you're just looking at your bike and you go to measure from your bottom bracket to your top tube, That's not going to be the measurement. It's a a line that goes vertically across from that. So stack
1: and reach are really hard to measure at home correctly. You can get a rough idea, but it's it's better to measure other things and plug those into an online calculator. From my own experience, if you have a frame jig, which probably 0.25 of the population does, or (laughs) 0.00025, then you can get an effective thing. But yeah, not many of us are building frames at home.
0: And the good thing is is most manufacturers now are being pretty good about putting this information out there, so it's much easier to find. I know at Jensen we make a really big point of filling out our uh, geo tables so that they are easy to look at and find this information, and we chase this information down even if it's not available from manufacturers, so... That is something we strive to do. But uh, these are going to be pretty important things. They're going to definitely uh, dictate how the bike feels. I always think that reach is the one I like the most because I like a really open cockpit. Um, and so even though I'm not a very big dude, I like an open cockpit. Cockpit. It's just the way I like to ride. And so I tend to really focus on that number a lot. So. Cool. Uh,
1: What about front center and rear center? Front center is pretty simple. That's the distance from the center of the front hub to the center of the bottom bracket. So that's essentially Mm -hmm. how much of the bike is leading. And then rear center is from the center of the bottom bracket to the rear axle. So how much of the bike is trailing. And then the the ratio between front center versus rear center. That's an interesting one. And I don't think many people discuss that. And then finding the actual center of mass of the bicycle and relating that to the front and rear center. That's a, a bit more complex, and that's probably where things will go in the next few years, especially as the e-bike things and heavier motors and where you put them come into play.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, front center and rear center are going to be kind of our next evolution of what yeah. designers are focusing on. Uh, and a related term is wheelbase. And most people know wheelbase from various other things. But basically, that's going to be uh, f- basically from axle to axle length, uh, just measured straight across in a horizontal line pretty easy to do it's also contact patch is the same thing you know it's from point to point on that center of um, contact patch yes yeah, center of <laughs> contact patch yeah. thank you um and you know generally these days we're seeing really long wheelbases in bikes um and that's been a an aspect of the growing head angles and all that but uh, it, The interesting thing with wheelbase is how closely it's associated with front center and rear center. And so I'm really curious to see how it plays out in the next few years, as I think designers will focus on that and to see if we get any shortening or if it's just going to be about balancing things. So curious to see how that goes. And
1: full suspension bikes only make it more complex because on bikes, the rearward axle path, that wheelbase is growing. But at the same time, as your fork's compressing, that front center is shortening. shortening. So... There's a ratio there once again, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like we said, this topic is really deep, and this may take us a few episodes to get through. We'll see. We'll see how we do. Uh, next up, uh, bottom uh, bracket height and bottom bracket drop. We see those terms pretty interchangeably in geotables, but
1: are they all that interchangeable? Well, I mean, the drop, it's... I, I like using the height more because the drop, you don't know what... Wait, no, oh, I'm wrong, opposite. The drop is easier, more consistent, because that's off the center line of the wheel, whereas the bottom bracket height depends on what tires are being put on the bike as they're putting this into the table to sort it all out. Bottom bracket height is simply center BB to the ground with some sort of tires on the bike, and then bottom bracket drop is the difference between the bottom bracket's position relative to the center of the the wheelbase from axle to axle. So it's a small number. BB drops are usually pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. You're
0: going to see something like uh, anywhere from probably 10 or 11 to, I don't know, 15 plus in bottom bracket drop being the well, I guess like 29er bikes can be upwards in like the 18s and stuff, but it kind of depends also on wheel size. That is the one challenge I have with bottom bracket drop is that it depends on wheel size, right? Like a 29er has much more bottom bracket drop. And, uh, 27.5 27.5 doesn't, and so if you're trying to compare dissimilar bikes, uh, that can be a bit challenging.
1: Yeah, and I'm excited to but, ride a bike with a bottom bracket, rise to it, and see how it pumps on the pump track.
0: Right, yeah, and you actually see this. My dirt jumper has uh, a pretty, uh, I. it's actually up probably just a little bit, but it's almost dead level.
1: Nice.
0: Um, and What's yeah, your, what's it, your it, dirt jumper? Uh, 24, fifteen something like that. So, but it's on the high side. No, no, so, no. What, what yeah. model bike? What, what oh, uh, model? D uh, it's the GT DJ ruckus, ruckus DJ, something like that. Okay. It's all black. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <so. laughs> Nice. It's not the new so, Labamba or whatever. It is not the okay. Labamba. No. Although that one looks pretty cool. Is Jensen so. a GT dealer? Um, you know, we've gone back and forth on doing some, lots of stuff with them and then, yeah. not. um, so yeah, it, Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. <laughs> I uh, love the honest answer. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, relationships change. Yeah, yeah, and not, yeah. Not good or bad. They just yeah, you know, yeah. have different contracts. That's just. I asked about right? the
1: dirt jumper thing. Like, even though my audience is not into dirt jumping whatsoever, I think it's the best way to train for mountain oh biking. Pump tracks and dirt jumps have a huge benefit on the trail. And I've been riding the same 2007 vintage transition bank. For yeah. a of since I think I got it in 2011 or something, yeah, and it works great. But I think some of the actual more like it's more of a four cross race bike, so mm-hmm. I get kind of lusty after a more proper pump track dirt jump bike with a shorter rear yeah. end, higher bottom bracket, steeper head angle.
0: Well, since we mentioned Marin, we are currently a Marin de- dealer, and that new uh, Matt Jones model that he's oh. got out is. Really nice looking. Hmm. Uh, so that actually, I've been debating selling my Dirt Jumper. Uh, I think my neighbor wants to buy it, so... Uh I've been debating selling that and picking up that new Marin. It looks
1: awesome. So, Sweet. Do you guys, yeah. you guys have those in stock? I'm kind of curious.
0: <laughs> uh, last I saw we did. Oh, um, man. but But, uh, yeah. It, I know they were really hot when we first got them. They sold out super fast. No way. And so um, I think we'll have to double check on that. But, yeah. And that's can,
1: a 26-inch, right? 26-inch, yeah, yeah. I can't and find uh, it on your website because there's not even a 26-inch wheel size option <laughs> for well, Marin I, bikes. <laughs>
0: So it may not be on right now then because okay. our filters are dynamic. So they should respond to what's actually on the site. Gotcha. But they, they just released uh, some new colors and a slight spec change. And so cool. we're probably just waiting for them to come in. But it looks really good. Um, and so that may, might make my short list. Yeah, I might have to try so. to sort
1: one of those out too. Like I'm dead serious. Yeah. I, the transition yeah. guys are here in town and I really like riding one of their bikes. But man, that would be cool to get a more. Because I want to run gears as well. And that makes it way harder to find. A bike yeah, with modern yep. geo and a trailer hanger. Anyhow, yep. this is off of our topic. Of yeah, sorry, we, we digress. We are bike nerds <laughs> at heart here. Awesome.
0: Uh, so I think kind of the last piece, and there's probably stuff we're going to miss, um, but the last piece is going to be fork offset and trail. These are related terminologies yeah. uh, in that fork offset and head angle highly affect the trail number. And trail is basically how far behind that steering axis um your wheel trails behind. So the contact patch of your wheel. And in modern bikes, we generally are aiming for pretty long trail
1: numbers. Yeah, and like 120 because, millimeters or so.
0: Yeah. And that's because it makes your bike really stable at speed. And so with kind of this Enduro push uh for Bikes that are faster, harder charging, all that kind of stuff. Um, Having a longer trail number stabilizes things and helps your steering actually self correct at speed. There are some trade offs, we'll talk about those, but that is a pretty common thing. So when you hear the number or the the term trail, uh, we're generally talking about how that front wheel behaves in that situation kind of confusing since we have a category of writing that I people call trail. I feel as like we well. should
1: call it mechanical caster or something like that. I'm I'm cool with that mechanical caster. I'm
0: down with that term and we'll we'll talk about caster effect and all that as well, I'm sure. So we'll get into that. Cool. Um, well, Jeff, that gets us through our definitions, and hopefully, you guys are still there with us. Hopefully, they were entertaining enough. <laughs> I
1: like your definition of uh, trail. People ask me all the time, "What does your trust fork do?" Well, it changes the trail. The what? And like, I try to what? explain it, and I like the contact patch. How far it is behind the center axis of the steering or the head tube angle. That's spot on and very simple and easy to understand. I'm going to have to borrow that. Thank you. Yeah, no
0: problem. <laughs> and uh, Jeff, I'm actually just about done with an article that I've written oh, on cool. this subject. And so if ever you need to, you can actually go to our site and find it under our 101 article. <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite done yet, okay. but it will be very soon. By the time this podcast is live, I am certain it will be. Cool. So cool. So, um, so we've kind of looked at, you know, what these things are, uh, a little bit of why they matter, you know, head angles, all those kind of things. We've touched on these things lightly. Um, but the ultimate reason people ask about geometry is they either want to get an idea of how a new bike is going to ride or how they can change up their um, current bikes and so I think trail is a really good place to start and kind of dig into like, if you are going to mess with things or if a designer uh, tweaks things on a bike, what, what is this going to do and how is it going to affect things? So when we talk about trail or what we're going to call mechanical caster in this, Um, Like we said, this is that steering axis. So think about your head angle. And if you drew a, a straight line, basically through the steer tube of your fork, down through your head tube, all that, and just took it all the way down to the ground and you marked that onto the ground. And then you took the center point of your contact patch and drew a horizontal line, that distance from that center point to where your steering axis contacted the ground, that's your trail. And in cross-country bikes or in older geometries, this tends to be on the shorter side, right? A shorter trail. Um, And that has a lot to do with both head angle and fork offset. These are um, two things that highly affect it, but also is affected by wheel size. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we kind of have three major things that affect this. Now, the question being, why would you want a short uh, trail or a long trail and there are benefits to both so in a short trail uh, you tend to have more nimble riding right so you can kind of weave your way especially in slow speed riding uh, if you're kind of working your way up a, a techie hillside trail um, it's actually kind of nice having a short trail that allows you to kind of pick your line and weave through it The um, bike so feels doing, more playful
1: with a short trail I mean it's easier to put it where you want it to
0: yeah Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because we actually see um, some of these things play out in bikes that are more about even jibbing. Um, They can, you know, doing these small little trail tricks and stuff. A shorter trail can be just more playful, more interesting. Um, And especially at lower speeds, it it can be kind of more fun. But when you start going faster that nimbleness can turn into twitchiness which is not fun when you're hard charging or like a lot of people riding now they come in fast to through sections that are chunky and when your wheel hits something it wants to skip out of kind of the linear motion that it's going in and this is that thing caster effect that we're talking about with mechanical caster and so how quickly your wheel wants to correct back to a straight line is kind of uh, a major component of trail. So the longer your trail is, the more quickly that wheel wants to get back to going straight versus kind of wobbling around.
1: And keep in mind, the longer your fork travel is, the more that trail measurement is going to shrink and the sketchier it's gonna be as it's kind of bottomed out. So this is where if a bike's not very well balanced fore-aft, if you're running a much stiffer rear suspension than front, The trail is going to change a bunch as that big fork compresses down and the actual head angle, the actual head angle is getting steeper. That's also making your trail get quite a bit smaller. I did the math on the HD4 with a 160 travel fork up top at a just completely topped out, no weight on it or anything. You're at just under 120 millimeters of trail. And then with that same fork bottomed out all the way, all 160 millimeters, 145 vertical, your head angle is going to be around, oh, what was it? It goes from about a 65 to a 71, and that shrinks the trail down to about 60 millimeters. So you have half the trail measurement that you did at the top. So if you keep your bike very well balanced fore-aft with the suspension settings, then you'll have way less of that effect. But if you're on a hardtail or something, then that can, you know, or you just happen to have a short travel bike with a big fork up front or whatever, then you're, that can be something to consider when you're selecting which fork offset to put on your bike.
0: Yeah. Yeah, most
1: definitely. And actually, this is a big component of what uh, Trust Performance is trying to to tackle, right? Yeah, but it's something that every bike designer has to think about as they're designing their suspension kinematics and, you know, what uh, every product manager thinks about when they decide what trail yep. they're going to spec on the fork on their bike line. Yeah. For sure.
0: So the the plus side to these uh, long uh, numbers is going to be that you're going to be really stable at speed. But there is also a trade-off when you slow down um, because this mechanical caster effect is good at speed, but it's actually fighting another effect, which is wheel flop. Um, And the more kind of uh, trail or mechanical caster length that you have uh the more wheel flop that you potentially have because this is actually caused by like your body weight and kind of the sag of the suspension and so in slower speed situations a a wheel kind of has this feeling of wanting to fall to one side or the other and it can make low speed technical riding a little bit more challenging on these slack bikes with uh short offsets and so kind of an interesting counterpoint. And so if you find yourself riding super technical trails all the time that are needing you to slow down your riding, you may actually be better off with a less slack head tube angle uh, and shorter offsets in order to, or or, sorry, longer offsets to compensate. So maybe that's what we should talk about now is (laughs) offset and how that works since I just got it wrong for a second.
1: Oh, it's okay. It's just an inverse relationship. (laughs) The shorter the offset, the bigger the trail. Or the bigger the offset, like when we all went to 51 mil offsets, that shrank mm-hmm. the trail down to make the bike more twitchy, which was kind of nice if you're riding a 29 inch wheel, which had quite a bit of rollover, you didn't mm-hmm. need as steep of a head angle. And then yep. you go, or you, you could get away with a steeper head angle because you have more safety because your wheel was taller. And then when you move the, the axle further forwards at the bigger offset, that shrinks the trail back down. So it's, yeah. you know, keeps And pretty. bigger
0: wheels have a longer trail. Also, if exactly, you look at how yeah. that adds up. The whole triangle so, ending
1: up bigger because the center point's higher up there. Yeah. So it's always
0: kind of funny. Like, it's. Uh I've talked about this a ton, I've written an article on it, like we're going to be filming some stuff on this, and I still have my moments of being like, yeah, shorter offset, shorter trail, and I'm like, no, that's not right, so like, just make sure that when you're looking at this stuff, you're definitely uh, considering the fact that it's an inverse relationship exactly. with offset to trail, yeah. And so that's kind of, so,
1: that's a big part of why head angle is such a big deal for so long, I mean, uh, we, we were only kind of stuck with just one option for fork offsets, until the 29er thing, I think like 2012 or 13, maybe, we started to get some more prevalence of the 51 mil offset forks. And then a year or two ago, it became the cool new thing to go the other way and do a shorter offset for a bigger trail. And there we go. And who knows what will happen in a few more years.
0: (laughs) And I I was talking about this with my buddy, who is like a total geometry geek. Like Mm -hmm. I was talking to him and we brought up the... I think it was the original mojo and he was like, Yeah, that had a head tube angle of blah blah blah. And I was like, Are you sure? And I brought it up and sure enough, it did. And you know, that bike's (laughs) a bunch of years old and you know, there's no way I remember that. I can hardly remember the head tube angle on my current bikes, let alone, you know, bikes from four or five generations (laughs) ago. Like just kind of crazy, but, uh, we were talking about this and we're like, you know, it's interesting because we did go on the longer side of things to get kind of more, uh, it was almost a response of 29ers to 27, five and 26, uh, bikes, because those are more nimble feeling. And so they went to this longer offset to make a kind of a more sprightly feeling steering. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we've gone the other way, and I think there's a lot to do with how uh, things like chainstay lengths are changing and reach numbers are changing. And so um, the, the steering effect of 29ers feels vastly different today than it did uh, five years ago. You know. And so I think there's a lot to consider here. Um, I'm definitely... A fan of the shorter offset. There was a, a hardtail I built a handful of years ago now um, from Advocate Cycles, their Hay Duke, that, that oh, tie yeah. thing. Dude, such a fun bike. Did it Advocate so turn
1: into Esker? It's now Esker. Okay. Yeah, and okay. they
0: still make the Hay Duke, uh, and numbers pretty much look the same and stuff, but it's, it's absolutely rad. Uh, I eventually did sell that when I moved to Hood River, and I have a buddy who's riding it and loves it. Um, but it was one of the things that I wrestled with because I was building this from a frame up and I was like, do I go to a 51 or do I do like a 44 offset? And I went shorter and basically because I knew that even though it was a hard tail, I like to ride fast and I am not as focused on kind of the tight technical riding. And so I wanted that fork to be stable. And one other piece that I think is interesting, and this brings up maybe a different subject is... Hardtails and um, full suspensions have pretty different looking geometry numbers. Um, if you're if you're looking at you know head angle versus head angle, and it's because of the way the geometry is actually affected while you're dynamically riding, right? Like sitting on a stand, just taking measurements when the bike's got nobody on it and not moving, the numbers aren't all that exciting, and actually they're in a lot of ways misleading. Um, But when you're actually riding, that hardtail pivots around that rear axle. And so as your fork goes through the travel and everything, that trail number just kept getting kind of shorter and shorter. And so I thought about like, man, I don't want things being real nimble feeling at high speed because it's going to just get more squirrely, yeah. more squirrely. And so I actually went with that shorter offset for that very reason, but uh, so, yeah, uh, why don't you
1: talk a little bit more about this hardtail versus squishy?
0: Like, is there...
1: You know, I don't... How have does this... Act- I, I haven't ridden a whole lot of the modern day, super long travel fork, you know, the, the North Shore style hardtails. So yeah. I don't feel 100% qualified, but I fully intend to make it up to Whistler at some point and try to get out with the cro guys and see what yeah. they ride. Because I've been on some of their trails that I know they've worked on and helped build. And there's stuff that it's... You look at it and you're like, is this a ladder or is this a bicycle trail? Because it's like, it's so incredibly steep and you're just looking down at like, how can we get down this? And they're hitting a lot of that stuff on hardtails because when they're, with how gnarly those trails are and how much those guys ride back in the day, they would just blow through full suspension bikes and just destroy things. So the hardtails, the only way to keep bikes surviving for long enough. So they really stumbled onto the hardtail thing back in the day, but they're infamous for having crazy slack head angles, which you need for that super steep whistler valley stuff not bike park they're not going super high speed they're just riding really 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 steep stuff so i'd love to get up there and do more of that with them i'm kind of nervous as well (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think it'll be fine i think it should be super fun so i'm sure you charge it the other thing that's interesting with their setups
0: and you're seeing this more in other brands too is not not only do they have slack head angles but they're pairing these with pretty long forks um, partially because they ride hard But also because uh, once that fork sits into its suspension a little bit, that steepens everything up. And so um, those super slack head angles matched with these long forks actually makes for a not a moderate head angle. It's still slack, but it's (laughs) it's not nearly as slack as what that bike starts out at. Right. The sag point changes everything. Yeah, you know, you pivot around that rear axle and that head tube uh, steepens up and your wheelbase shortens and everything is affected. And so dynamic um, measurements of geometry are probably the most important, but they are by far the most, uh, I'd say, near impossible to actually measure, right? Like, because a bike... Trying to measure where it sits in all of its uh, suspension sag and everything while moving is such a a hard thing to do. Yeah, I'm sure we have computers and stuff that could, but it wouldn't be that hard to
1: say have a second geometry chart of we recommend this bike at 25% sag, and this is the geometry at 25% sag, assuming you're running a fork pressure that correlates to what pressure gets us that same sag amount, because it's pretty hard to measure fork sag, but. We're not quite there yet in the bike industry. It wouldn't be that hard to really do. It's just all of a sudden your numbers go from looking. Everyone's been comparing these topped out, unweighted geometry charts. Everyone wants a real slack head angle. Then all of a sudden sitting on the bike and the head angle got slacker. And it's like, wait, is that too slack? I don't know. So yeah, it's it's yeah. tough for the sales perspective to sh- to show all that but I think it will eventually will happen. Yeah. Um Seth, do you want to take us through why seat angle is so important?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great one. So if you've been paying attention at all to recent history, you are seeing really steep seat angle numbers that are upwards of 76, 77, 78 degrees and in the past, uh, if you were on like a road bike or an old school XC bike, you were probably looking at something more like 72, 73. And that's, you know, that's pretty common in those kind of bikes. But these days, everything's moving even steeper. And the reason that is, is because we have changed so many other pieces of the bike. And in order to compensate, uh, we are actually moving that seat post up. And People are riding harder, steeper, gnarlier trails than ever. And so um, having that steeper seat tube angle definitely helps you get into a more forward position on the bike, uh, moves it so that your weight is not over the back of the wheel, so you're not looping out on steep climbs. Uh, And it allows for really long travel bikes that are now considered like trail and enduro bikes. To be really capable climbers. Um, You know, I'm on an Ibis Ripmo. This is a 145 rear, 160 front. And that thing charges downhill. But man, can it motor uphill. I mean, it just goes. And it's got a real steep seat tube angle on it. Uh, on that one, it's 76 and it's, so it's not even in the steep category for some of them these days, right? At 78. There's always someone going Um, steeper. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but compared to some of the stuff of old, uh, that was, you know, pretty darn steep. Uh, now you do have to remember that those are the static numbers. Those are not the dynamic numbers. So when you actually get on the bike and it sits down into its sag, that's actually probably going to get you closer to... 73 or 74 degree yeah. uh you know sitting in the bike and then depending on the terrain and what you're riding over uh that can change as well.
1: I thought it'd be interesting so I grabbed the Mojo HD160 geometry from like 2011. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That bike had And this was like, I remember it being a point of contention at Ibis for, is this too slack of a head angle for a mountain bike? 67.5 head angle, but then a 71.5 seat angle. So we went from a 71 to a 76. So we've gone five full degrees steeper on seat tube angle. That's such a big change in just a couple of years. That's a huge change. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I will say, you know, for the most part, I think this has been a really good move. And for where I live and I think where you're at, Jeff, this makes a lot of sense because a lot of our trails are really steep climbs um, or relatively steep with pretty steep descents. And I spend a lot of time just riding up And then I turn around and I ride down. However, I spent the last four years in Springfield, (laughs) Illinois, riding trails that there was some punchy little climbs, but for the most part, our trails were kind of flowing flat level things and super fun, um, but very different. And I will say that in those situations, I actually think that the 76 plus seat angles can actually kind of put you in a less than perfect position for efficient pedaling in that type of terrain or on flat ground. If you
1: need to get across town to the trailhead, it's definitely not aerodynamic to be sitting straight up like that. And then it's it's a different pedaling style.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it is one of those things that uh, you have to think about horses for courses, right? If you're a guy riding kind of more level terrain, Um, you don't necessarily need a 78. It's not going to stop you from having fun, but you could be better fit with a bike that has a slacker seat tube angle, um, and is kind of a little more designed for that. Um, but man, for anything in climbing uphills and downhills, it's pretty amazing. I, I'm I'm a huge fan right now of, of my steep seat angle. Yeah,
1: so. I'm loving that Ripnos C tube angle right now. My HD4, if it's kind of custom short fork, sh- shorter rear shock setup, has a similar steep seat angle. feels so yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of a a um, hodgepodge that you put together, right? Oh, man. I'll do a video um, about it one of these days. So probably in a few weeks here, I'll do a video about that setup, that crazy <laughs> contraption yeah, I've got. Yeah, yeah.
0: for sure. Um, so, you know, we're talking about c tube angles that obviously moved the the body position of riders forward. So we had to compensate, right? So what did we do to compensate some of
1: that seat angle? Well, I guess we could talk about chainstay length here. I mean, yeah, you know, the whole like chainstays getting shorter deal. I don't know if I really buy that so much because I'm over the years, like high 16, low 17 numbers. I don't remember them getting crazy longer. For a while on 29ers, we couldn't fit things because the front derailleur is in yeah. the way. So I feel like they haven't changed. Change state length hasn't changed all that much. But I guess at one point, they got a little bit longer, like three or four years ago. And they kind of seem to have been coming back down shorter. But then some folks that ride really high speed, like downhill race course type stuff, enduro race stuff, they really like the longer chainstays and the yeah. whole high pivot rearward swinging axle path that increases chainstay length is definitely, there's something to that. When you're really hitting big obstacles, you get a longer chainstay, you get a longer rear center and a bit more stability. So chainstay yeah. length has changed a bit over the years, but not as much, I don't think as some of the other measurements.
0: Yeah. Like reach, right? Reach has grown a ton yeah. over, over the years. And the, the kind of related numbers that have changed is that our, um, ratio of rear center to front center, which is, again, the measurement from the bottom bracket to either axle, so front center to the front, rear to the rear. Um, but uh, those numbers have, that ratio has changed. So now we have shorter chain stays, and I'm with you. I don't think it's changed as much they as have They have gotten like to shorter, say.
1: but not like, if you look at the difference, they've gotten maybe a half inch shorter, whereas like, Reach has gotten multiple inches shorter for same size bikes. Like looking at that same 2011 HD 160, the reach on the extra large was 412 millimeters. Yeah, and you look at the reach on an extra large Ibis Ritmo. Oh God, I want to say it's 480. I don't. Oh, yeah. My chart didn't have it right in front. I thought I had it, but I grabbed a medium, of course. Uh, oh, there it is. On, on the Ripmo is 493.
0: 493.
1: So we went from yeah. 412 to 493. Oh, my goodness. Over three inches longer.
0: Yeah, and this was pushed by a couple of companies like Pole and uh, Mondraker and stuff. They definitely were pushing the reach numbers. I remember some crazy-looking bikes in those days (laughs) uh, a few few years back, and they've actually mellowed out a little bit on those numbers. Uh, Those companies have kind of come back. But they helped to usher in this whole thing of like shortening our stems, increasing our reach, um, and kind of opening up that cockpit. And it was all kind of trying to figure out how to make bikes handle better, Uh, more comfortably and take on the the techie, chunky Gnar. Because what's happening is I I truly believe, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like the riders of today, because their bikes are so capable at taking on everything, are riding harder, faster. I feel like the average rider today is way, way better than they were a handful of years ago.
1: Definitely. I'd agree 100% with
0: that. And so I think uh, all of these things, like, yes, it's, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff comes from the race side of things. But uh, really, I think overall, the mountain biking community is just getting better at riding and harder charging. Let's pat ourselves on the back. We got gnarlier. Yeah. Like. And a a big part of it is the equipment can handle it, but the riders are stepping up. I mean, I went for a ride yesterday. I was telling Jeff, I rode a really cool place in Washington that's like a shuttle thing, but was still good climbing. And I was riding with guys who there's no way they would call themselves anything, but just like average Joes, you know, and they were charging, like, you know, just absolutely shredding. And so, um, these, these things have all helped in the geometry world. Now, with that being said, there are some uh, drawbacks to all of this, right? So in talking about rear center ratio to front center ratio, um, we are displacing where the rider sits in the bike. And I think as a general rule, the more middle in the bike you are, the more balanced you'll be and the better your cornering will be and all those kind of things. But we've done things to kind of compensate for that. So generally, like with uh, wheel sizes, we've increased uh, bottom bracket drop in 29ers, which helps to make you feel a little more in the center of the bike. Um, we've extended that reach, uh, which tends to, even though we have short rear centers, it moves that body position a little bit more forward, which gives you more weight over that front wheel for good cornering. Um There's kind of been a bunch of things. The fork offset is another play there where even though we have a long front center, uh, we make that steering feel different. And then we've also paired, like we mentioned, uh, short stems with wide bars. So you get the stability of nice wide bars, but you get kind of the quick steering feel and the shortened reach of a shorter stem. And so there's all kinds of little things. And I think the take home for all of this is that ultimately Geometry is not just one piece, like you can't get focused on fork offset or seat angle or one piece. It is this massive collaboration of numbers all over
1: and each one
0: somehow affects the others.
1: And just because a bike might have, say, a steeper head tube angle, you got to look at the actual front center or maybe the whole wheelbase, because if the whole wheelbase is pretty long, it could be more stable than a bike that has a slacker head tube angle, but a much shorter front end, a much shorter top tube front center measurement. So there's a yeah. lot to these puzzles. And then the bottom bracket height thing, super interesting too, because the lower you get the more stable at speed, but then yep. you give up a little bit of the pumping ability too. So it's, there's a lot of play yeah. there. It's these things like you can gain something here, but then you give up something on some of the trails elsewhere. So it's regionality kind of plays into this where you ride and how you ride is a big part of yeah. what works best.
0: We were just talking about this. I was riding with a guy who couldn't have been any less than six six yesterday, and I'm <laughs> I'm like five nine, right? And we were talking about bikes, and I was like, man, the Ripmo's basically my perfect bike for how I ride, where I ride. And he was like, yeah, but that bottom bracket's so low. And I was like, yeah, for me, that's not an issue. Cause I just go to like 160 cranks. You have 160s? No way. So they are 165s right oh, okay. now, but I was, I was debating switching. So, but like, you know, I, I'm not out racing. So like having the biggest leverage arm on that crank isn't going to be a major factor. Oh man. And, for me,
1: I hate long crank arms. I've broken both sides yeah. of my pelvis and I don't like having the like, I've got pretty tight IT bands as a result. So, I have these longer yeah. gates, I can't ride yeah. nearly as comfortably for as long on 175. So, 170s, and I spin a fast cadence. So, the 170s yeah. for me have been way more efficient than 175s. And I'd love yeah. to try going. I have some 165s in a box at home I just got from Shimano, and I can't nice. wait to try those things out.
0: Yeah. And so, like, you know, pedal strikes, they happen for me, which is a
1: downside to a low bottom bracket
0: but not very often. No, you're going to pedal
1: strike, chances are, regardless of your bottom bracket height, because you say, oh, it's so low. What is it? Five millimeters difference versus, you know, another bike. If you're going to, be that sloppy of a peddler that five millimeters is gonna make a big difference really you're yep. probably catching your pedal more on giant boulders not just slightly catching it a little bit if you catch it a little yep. bit it'll be a glancing blow and you can get away if it's enough to stop you dead in your tracks it doesn't yep. really matter exactly. how high or low it's gonna be you're you just hit something buddy <laughs> yeah <laughs> and
0: uh, you know i was talking to somebody about this as well a different rider um who was like, yeah, you know, like I find myself pedal striking. I'm thinking about switching up. They wanted to go from flats to clips. And, you know, I'm a flats proponent, although I rode lots of clipless pedals for years. Um, And I was like, well, that's not so much the issue. I was like, if you're wanting to correct that, that's going to be more about how you ride than, you know, your pedals. And I was like, and the other piece being, um, there are things that can help you with this. So high engagement hubs actually help a lot because you can ratchet your pedal. And so you can have kind of better technique through the chunky stuff instead of actually pedaling through it. And I was like, so you could get a really nice set of wheels plus gain that, that cool function. And so there's all kinds of little things that add up. And so, I don't know, it's, it's kind of funny. I do think there is going to be a limit though, on bottom bracket heights where we kind of, past the point of being well balanced and oh getting yeah the cornering sure. benefits and we're just too low and i think the same thing with chainstays and uh, head tube angles um you know dh bikes are down to 62 degrees and uh, enduro bikes and all that keep getting slacker i you know the new uh ripley came out and what's that in the 120 version it's 62 or sorry 66 and a half and for what's basically like a trail bike you know almost on the xc side like it depends how you
1: ride and where you ride because i was if that was my bike i'd set it up with a little bigger fork to help slacken oh, yeah, it out sure. still so you know yeah, it yeah, goes both ways sure. It depends who you are and where you are as well
0: yeah and like no i i totally would build that with the 140 um and if i were doing it but it's just pretty crazy because to think not that many years back bikes of that caliber were probably in the high 60s like 68 69 range and so we've taken off a whole bunch it used to be that 66 degree head angles were only the realm of kind of enduro and DH kind of stuff well to bring it back and a little so, that
1: 2011 HD 160 was a 67.5 head angle and that was seen mm-hmm. as super slack at the time super slack and here it yeah. is that's steeper as an enduro bike than the Ripley as a trail cross-country bike today
0: yeah yeah and and it it definitely is but uh i would build that uh with the long fork which brings me into a subject that i wanted to touch on today and you don't have to go too in depth <laughs> cuz i know you're going to do a video on it that's okay but you have a uh, a bike the HD4 yeah. right that you have franken biked yeah uh it is not really an HD4 it, in many ways. Oh, it's an
1: HD4. It's just (laughs) the travel is limited in back. So it's a stock eye to eye shock I have in there, but it's a limited stroke. So it bottoms out sooner. I have a shorter travel fork up front. And if I run a stock length rear shock, then the bottom bracket gets super low and I feel pretty awkward at bottom out. It's just the bike's too low. At that point, when I'm bottomed out, pedals can hit the ground or they'll, they'll rub on rocks and stuff at bottom out not so much when I'm pedaling but just landing from a big jump I'll start to snag stuff so yeah it's not a drastic difference there but I prefer the uh the shorter stroke shock when combined with that really short fork up front and that's a I've really that's a fun all around setup I like that bike
0: yeah no and you look like you're killing it on that Thanks. bike so
1: it, but it brings up the subject of you know people like to tinker and yeah. this is
0: actually where a lot of the industry gets its um kind of next innovations if you will uh we saw this we talked about it with uh 27.5 wheels uh and how that that and 29ers kind of came out of people tinkering right yeah oh yeah like messing around and we're seeing it right now with mullet bikes right these (laughs) 27.5 29 combos have you tried one yet uh, so I haven't tried a recent one, but back in the day when they were 69ers, okay. right, the 26 rear, the 29 front, I did try some of those and you know, it was fun. It wasn't, a, it wasn't worth it for me to go to it. Like yeah. I wasn't going to do it myself. Um, there's the pain of like having different size tires and you know, blah, blah, blah. Like that just wasn't worth it. But it's interesting in this round of things because we're seeing it um, actually kind of at the pro racer level, right? Because UCI loosened their rules on having mixed and matched wheels. And so some of the guys in the DH circuit and some of the guys in the uh, enduro circuit are trying this out. And so
1: it's interesting. Um, I'm I'm sure there's something to it, but it's just so goofy from my like traditional past. I don't want it to be correct, but I'm sure it's better in some way. Oh, Uh, I need to try. (laughs) I'm sure there's
0: some pluses. And, you know, I think for you, it would be a fun experiment, but yeah, I think that needs
1: to be a video here. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I was watching another video from the guys at GMBN and, you know, they, they did one single test and it was entertaining. Like you were like, Oh, cool. And, but the takeaway that we kind of got from it was like, yeah, that was entertaining. You know, it wasn't Neil, wasn't about to go switch up his bike there. And yeah. so, but I'd be curious to see you do it. See if you oh, have man. a different take on it. <laughs> uh, you know, this, this is why you have your own channel just so you can mess with things. I
1: could try it on the dirt jumper and put a 27 five up front there or 26 and back as well.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Get weird with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, a lot of people tinker and, uh, I will put a word of caution there. Like we've talked about how fork offset is a place you can tinker. Uh, You can uh, mess with short shocking things, uh, which is, you know, either reducing the travel or actually using a shorter travel eye to eye um, shock. And that's something that uh, my buddies and I did in the past. Uh, You know, when I think at the time, just bike manufacturers weren't creating what we were wanting. And so we did that. There's offset bushings you can do yeah. um, that change things. But the the caution I will have is that, you know, designers these days are working really hard to create really good bikes. And they spend a lot of time with good riders testing these things to get a specific feel. And for every change you make, something else has to give. Right. And so um, I always find that if it, if, I don't like something about my bike and I want it to be different. I always look for the cheapest solution to it. And so, um, you know, like fork offset, that's a really expensive one. Cause that's a at thousand best, bucks. yeah. Like you're either going to buy a new fork or at best, you're going to be able to find somebody who's selling their lowers with a different fork offset, which is, yeah, like <sighs> it's just not the best move, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And, um, But to get the same effects that you might have from either lengthening or shortening your offset to get a different feeling steering effect and more stability or less stability, whichever you're going for you can switch up your stem or change your bar length or you can change your steering
1: trail with your tire size too. Yeah. So you put a smaller tire on there, all of a sudden it's going to lower everything down a little bit and shrink down the trail measurement. You put a bigger tire on, it's going to make it a little bit bigger. So like, yeah, I mean, you can totally play with that pretty easily with just tire size and tires are pretty cheap. You can even do a small rear tire, big front tire and get close to a 30 millimeter difference in height between the two yep. of them. And that's huge. Trying to do that with an angle set or whatever would cost a lot more money and you probably wouldn't notice it the same way you would with the tires. So the tire changing for geometry goals is a pretty legit way to start experimenting.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, definitely aim at the <laughs> the lower cost ones to start, right? Because yeah. otherwise you're going to end up chasing your your tail on this stuff. And it's always that thing too of when you're done, let's say you decide to sell your bike... <laughs> Is someone going to buy your bike in yeah. the way that you built it? And, <laughs> and that's the question. So I've actually been tinkering in, in my brain. Uh, I'm playing with some of these geometry calculators online because I am tempted a little bit by... The Ripley, you know, um, the Ripmo out here is a fantastic bike and it is so much fun. But I think you need a while, both
1: a Ripley and a Ripmo, Seth, definitely. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> it could happen. Um, my wife needs a bike. Uh, this is actually how I was trying to justify <laughs> getting an e-bike the other day because I can't bring myself to buy an e-bike, <laughs> but I keep telling myself, like, if I, if I buy one for Christy, Uh, then she can learn to ride. And since we ride the same size bike, I can just borrow it. And then when people are like, hey, dude, I thought you'd never ride an e-bike. I can be like, oh, no, no, it's just my wife. (laughs) Classic. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I started toying around with like, I wonder, like, you know, that new Ripley looks a lot like the Ripmo. But just shorter travel. Yeah. I wonder what it's all about. So I started messing with geometry calculators, and you know, if I messed with my fork travel on my Ripmo, I actually get real similar geometry numbers to the Ripley. Yep. Um, but with 145 rear travel instead of 120, and I'm yeah. like, oh, that's interesting. Now, the downside being my bottom bracket does drop a little bit more, but maybe that's uh, okay. I, I think I you'd really want
1: know. to go to more spacers in your shock to make it more progressive and yeah, run a little I bit so. less sag to kind of mimic that feeling of the, of the Ripley. I and mean, you could get away yeah. with a 150 fork. I rode a 150 fork on my Ripmo for like a couple of days while I was waiting for my 160 to show up, and it was okay, but yeah. I don't know, like... That bike ride's so good at the 160 fork. It's still so efficient. I wasn't happier in any way at the shorter fork.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's pretty much what I came to is I yeah. kind of put all the things in my cart. And even with my discount, which is you know pretty decent, I still went, eh, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up not doing the oh, Rip man. Less build, as I was calling it, <laughs> um, and just stuck with the Ripmo. And honestly, it, I can't be happier. Uh man, so we covered a ton here. I think we probably need to to lock this down. But if you guys have any questions about this, like feel free to hit us up in comments, or you can reach me at S Kendall. That's S for Seth Kendall K E N D A L L at Jensen USA. .com. And uh, if you're like, man, I still don't understand some geometry thing or what changing bars does, like we're more than happy to tackle a second episode. Oh, of totally. This. Yeah. Um, and we can respond an email. We're pretty good at that. Um, but yeah, if you have any questions, hit us up, let us know. And we'll take this on again because there's so much more to go here. This was really kind of a top level tip look. of the iceberg. Yeah. And we could just keep going. But, Jeff, anything else you want to add before we close out?
1: Man, suspension setup can play a big factor into the bike's geometry as well. So, how many spacers you run and when you start to ramp up and uh, what kind of sag you're running. On my old HD3, I ran like 45% sag and back. Mm -hmm. And I'd use a 170 fork because that bike was so steep. I really wanted to slacken it out. And then also lowered it down quite a bit. The downside is, and this is the last thing I want to close, I want to say or whatever is, the bike was so far from its original intended setup that it felt mm-hmm. pretty wonky and it still bottomed out. So it had to run way too much damping. So it, it was a stopgap. It worked. But man, if you can keep a bike within its originally intended usage, yeah. it's usually going to be the best setup. So it's fun to try different things, but it's also good to circle back to the original yeah. setup before you write it off as like, I'm done with that bike. I want something more fun. Yeah, The original setup's usually pretty darn good already.
0: Yeah, on that note, I've been uh, playing with uh, the ShockWiz I have and messing with numbers. And uh, I'm about to switch out a bunch of tokens because I set a baseline last year of what I liked. And it's actually really close to your setup on that bike. Um, But um, I I set a baseline and I wrote down all my numbers and stuff. And then this year, I'm kind of messing with it to try to see if there's something else that I get that benefits from different changes. But like you said, I have all my old numbers ready to go and, you know, I can pop out the different tokens and things like that to just go back and see, like, oh, do I like kind of that original thing? And my belief is, man, bike designers and engineers are trying to design the best riding bike they can. Nobody goes into this going ah, yeah, this is just okay. You know, these guys are proud of what they're creating. Yeah, and Um, they've gotten
1: better than ever, too. Oh, yeah.
0: The science is better. the, The testing is better. The engineering is better. Just everything's better. And so you know, big props to them. And at the end of the day, it's hard to argue with what they're doing. That doesn't mean don't tinker. It just means <laughs> careful how far you tinker and always know where Try home Try the basis, tires right? first. <laughs> it's cheapest and easiest to reverse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. We hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, and hopefully this inspires you to get out on your bike and just kind of go explore things and enjoy and if you have any questions, remember, just hit us up in the emails or you can reach us on the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, all that. Jeff's on both of those. He's got his YouTube channel where he's dropping new hot videos all the time. Every
1: Thursday, 5 p.m. or a few minutes yeah. after 5 p.m. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. And, uh, you know, we've got new content con- coming all the time through Jensen USA as well, so make sure you check out our channels, uh, both YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, and then if you're ever looking for um content uh, information guides things like that we're building out a lot of series of what we call one-on-one articles just to kind of educate people on how all this works how it interacts so hopefully that helps and glad to have you guys listen it's been all fun right. seth it's been good we'll do it again and uh, jeff you need to come visit before our trails get too
1: marbly yeah i kind of like marbly. them in that marbly sketchy state it reminds me of riding back in california Oh,
0: well, it it's pretty much there right now. We're supposed to get rain tomorrow. Dude. But, uh, oh, yeah. man.
1: This morning, I hit one corner that I don't want to rub in too much, but, man, like, I thought I was going to drag my handlebar on the ground, and I'm ah, like, this dude. is going to hurt so bad, and the next thing I know, I'm shooting out of the corner straight down the trail, and I'm like, how did I not crash? This is amazing. Awesome. Yeah, that felt good. That's awesome. But well. I like the marbles. They're fun. It's fun to slide the bike through stuff
0: yeah well hopefully we can get you here all right man well good talking to you thanks for everybody we'll uh, see you in the next episode Toodles.